Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. On today's program, we're going to revisit an interview we did over five years ago with Walter E. Hussman, Jr., the now-retired publisher of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette and the El Dorado News Times. When his retirement took place on the first of this year, he was succeeded by his daughter, Eliza, who takes over as the new publisher. This program was our original interview with Walter E. Hussman. As I said, more than five years ago, we were even using our original theme music. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Tim. Like Tim said, I'm Carrie McCoy, and it's time for me to get up in your business. My guest today is the epitome of hard work and creativity in his field. Mr. Walter Hussman, owner and publisher of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, has a magnificent career story intertwined with Arkansas history. Hussman is known nationwide for his David versus Goliath win in a 17-year newspaper war between the Democrat and the Arkansas Gazette. That, in 1991, culminated into a merger between the two, thus creating the now-known Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Hussman's other notable accomplishments came during the dot-com restructuring of readership from print to online. In 2007, for the Wall Street Journal, Hussman penned an article, How to Sink a Newspaper, urging newspapers to stop providing free content online. He warned that the online posting of newspapers would become a self-inflicted wound. Walter was born in Texarkana, Texas, raised in Camden, Arkansas, and schooled in North Carolina and New York. Before returning to Camden, Arkansas, and hiring on as the general manager of the Camden News, he cut his teeth as a reporter for Forbes magazine. It was in 1973 that Walter accepted a job in Hot Springs, Arkansas, as vice president and general manager of Palmer Newspaper, a division of Waco Media, a family enterprise. The following year, his parent company, Waco Media, purchased the Arkansas Democrat newspaper, and Hussman moved from Hot Springs to Little Rock to manage this new acquisition. As circulation for his Democrat newspaper dwindled, Hussman reached out to his main competitor, the Arkansas Gazette newspaper, requesting a merger of the two. When then-publisher Mr. Hugh Patterson refused, Hussman vowed to work hard and revitalize his fledgling Democrat newspaper. By 1980, a mere five years after his merger request, the Democrat had become the fastest-growing newspaper in the United States. By 1986, under Hussman's management, the Democrat led the Gazette in Sunday distribution and was tied in daily circulation. In 1991, Waco Media purchased the Gazette from its more recent owner, Gannett, and did what Hussman had proposed two decades earlier. They combined the two papers into a new publication named simply the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. It is an honor to welcome to the table a giant among newspaper men, the bright and innovative business guru, Mr. Walter Hussman. All that true, or did I get anything wrong? Just one correction. Okay. I could see him twinge right just, there for a minute. Just what one was correction. it? I was born in Texarkana, Arkansas, not Texas. 
Oh, you know, I think we need to change the Wikipedia page. You know, <laughs> you've got a nice Wikipedia page. Uh, let's see. Um, you and I have been acquaintances, not good friends, but acquaintances for years. But I sure. never really knew anything about your life and your creativity until I started really reading your story, like I said, on Wikipedia. And I am a biography nut. Anybody that does listen to this radio station or knows me knows that I'm a biography nut. And your biography was so inspiring. I don't want to say this lightly, but the reason I really love biographies is is because it takes, and you're not average, and nobody's average, but you just take humans who are average people, who are just people, and they do extraordinary things. And you did extraordinary things. You were the David of the David and Goliath newspaper war that went on here. Look, he's like, yes, <laughs> the three generations of newspaper men in your family. You're the third. And I read also about your father. So to get to know you and for our listeners to get to know you, let's start with your father and tell us a little bit about him. Well, he was uh, born in 1906 in Bland, Missouri, and uh, their family was uh, German, uh, and uh, the uh, ancestors had come over from Germany and uh a lot of Germans settled in Missouri, and uh, my uh, uh, grandfather was a railroad engineer, and uh, they lived in uh, the German section of uh, St. Louis, and I remember going up there. I never really knew my grandfather, but uh, my grandmother, I did, and we'd go up to St. Louis, and uh, they lived in row houses with stoops. Mm-hmm. I still remember that very vividly. So he grew up in a uh, you know, uh, lowered a, a lower working class, uh, you know, neighborhood, and that and that's that's what his family was. And my dad dropped out of uh, high school and went to work out in the wheat fields of Kansas, et cetera. And uh, he later went back to high school, and I think he was maybe 20 years old when he went back to high school. It was so embarrassing, said to him. He was in there with a bunch of 14-, 15-year-old kids. But he went. he realized that he made a big mistake. And uh, so then he went on to the University of Missouri, and uh, he was studying journalism, and uh, that's where he met my mother. Uh, she was from Texarkana, and she'd gone to Lindenwood College in, in St. Louis, and then she m- transferred over to the University of Missouri, and she was in the journalism school. So anyway, they met and, uh, in the journalism school, and he also was in journalism school with his college roommate, who was a fellow named Donald W. Reynolds. I know. Wow. And, and uh, Don Reynolds, of course, is a man that's made so many incredible philanthropic gifts in Arkansas and Oklahoma and Nevada and, and other places, but mainly those three states. So anyway, and they were lifelong friends. So anyway, um, that's a little bit about the start of my dad. I, uh, I think it's interesting that a guy who dropped out of high school goes off to go to college in journalism. So he obviously didn't have a reading problem. Yeah, no, no. He was a very smart fella, and uh, so he joined the service in World War Two, right? At thirty-five. Yeah, I can't remember his age, but I remember uh, he uh, came from Camden up to Little Rock, and he was over at uh, Camp Robinson. And he was the public affairs officer, and uh, so uh, and then his friend Don Reynolds asked for him to be transferred over to Europe, where the war was going on, and uh, Don was the publisher of Yank Magazine, which was a publication owned by the United States Army or United States Armed Forces. 
and it was for the entertainment of uh, and information for the troops. It's kind of like the newspaper was uh, Stars and Stripes. Well, there was also a Yank magazine that came out less frequently. Uh, and so anyway, they were co-publishers of Yank magazine in Paris at the time. And I remember going when I was 13 years old, I got to go to Europe with my mom and dad and grandmother. And uh, we stayed in the hotel. And my dad was telling me, you know, when he was in Paris, it had been liberated by the American forces, but there were still snipers. They were still not Nazi sympathizers. So it was still a little bit dangerous being there. I guess Yank doesn't stand for Yankee or? Um, I'm not sure how they got. Yeah. And then your father-in-law is interesting. So your father met your mother in journalism in Missouri. Right. And turns out her father was Mr. Palmer. Yeah. Who? Tell our listeners. Yeah. So he was from Clear Lake, Iowa, and somehow ended up in working for the railroad in Fort Worth. And my grandmother was from Cleveland, Tennessee, and I don't know how she ended up in Fort Worth, but they met, they got married, and they decided to go on their honeymoon. So they got on the train, and I guess back in those days, if you worked for the railroad, you get to ride the trains for free. So uh, back in 1909, the the railroads uh, only ran during daylight hours because there wasn't enough fencing in the United States, and so there was a lot of livestock that roamed around, and the train didn't want to run into some cattle or anything. So they stopped the first night in uh, Texarkana, and so they got off the train, and they went into town, and... uh, Apparently met some people, had a great time, and they thought, gosh, let's let's stay here a couple of nights, and, you know, there'll be another train coming through, and we can get on the train going down on our honeymoon down to Florida or Cuba or wherever they were going. Anyway, they liked Texarkana so much, they decided to settle there, and um, he went to work for the news- one of the newspapers. There were a number of newspapers in Texarkana then, and he eventually got to buy into it and eventually got to buy all of it, and eventually ended up being the only newspaper in Texarkana. And that's where you were born? And that was your grandfather? Yeah, that's my grandfather, C.E. Palmer. Well, he sure did turn that little newspaper into a media giant, didn't he? Yeah, actually, it's kind of interesting. Uh, my grandfather was a real entrepreneur, and uh, he was buying uh, oil leases and things over in El Dorado and... and uh, the story is, and I don't know how accurate this is, but the story that was handed down the family is that he bought up a whole bunch of land leases, you know, in around El Dorado to smack over. And H.L. Uh, Hunt bought a bunch of them too, but H.L. Hunt's was on one side of the railroad track and my grandfather's were on the other. And it turns out on the side H.L. Hunt got, well, that's where the oil was. So, so he kind of ended up in the newspaper business instead of the oil business. <laughs> well, he did a fine job, whatever it was. I was so impressed with your legacy of your family, the entrepreneurs on both sides of your family. One other thing about, interesting about my grandfather is uh, some people wanted to buy the Texarkana paper, and uh, they actually, he sold it to them, you know. I guess he thought, gosh, they're offering such a fantastic price. But anyway... Uh, they they gave him some cash, and they gave him some notes, I guess, because they're paying such a high price. He was willing to take some notes. Well, along came the Depression, and uh, they defaulted on the notes. So he ended up with the ownership of the newspaper. And he yeah. bought other newspapers after that, too, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, so we, we really literally ended up back in the newspaper industry by default, literally. <laughs> and, and literally. And he bought Hot Springs newspaper? He bought the paper in Hot Springs. Camden? And El, uh, Camden, El Dorado, uh, and... Um, magnolia and uh 
of course, Texarkana was his home. When did he decide to call it Waco? Uh, he didn't. Oh, uh, that yeah. was you. No, well, that was my dad. That was your dad. Because it's W-E-H-C-O stands for Walter E. Hussman Company. I was going to ask you what W-E-H-C-O stood for. That was at the in the last hour, but now we know. I've always wondered what that stood yeah, and for. And that didn't come along till like 1973. That's smart. You were living in New York City, and then you returned to Camden, Arkansas to manage the Camden News that we just talked about your grandfather had bought. Did you feel like you were going backwards or was... Well, I'll tell you the, the story about that is I, I loved living in New York. I was having a great time. I was single and really enjoying everything up there and uh, had two older sisters. Neither one of them were involved in the business. And it looked like, you know, if I didn't get involved in the business, that they were going to probably sell the business, you know. And so my dad told me, he said, you know, uh, look, I want you to do what you want to do. If you want to be a writer, if you want to stay in New York, that's fine, you know. Uh, but, you know, if you don't want to move back to Arkansas, we probably need to sell the business because, you know, you're like uh, 23 and I'm like 63, you know. And so he said, you know, you might consider coming back to Arkansas and trying the business. If you don't like it, you know, you can always go back to New York and there get another go. job. But if we sell the business, that option's not available anymore. So I thought, you know, that makes sense. So, yeah. So, I, yeah, it was quite an adjustment going from New York to Camden. Yeah. Uh, was Benny with you already? No, no, I hadn't met her yet. Because I was going to say that had been a hard sale. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, I didn't come back to run the Camden News. I came back just to work for my dad and try to learn everything I could from him. And actually, uh, we had a situation where we needed to get a new general manager for the newspaper and. Camden. And so my dad said, okay, this will be a good assignment. You go out and hire a general manager and you get a, you know, who you think we ought to hire. And then I'll interview him and think, see if you made the right choice, et cetera. Well, I was having a tough time finding somebody to run the newspaper. And my dad said, well, I'm going to give you an extra incentive. You're going to run the paper until you find somebody. I said, okay. Well, I tell you what, that was a sort of a turning point in my life because before I had a journalism degree undergraduate and I had a business degree out of graduate school. And my first job was working for a magazine writing. And I really wanted to be in the news and editorial side. I thought that was the creative side, you know, and I thought business is probably just pretty cut and dried. When I started running the newspaper in Camden, even though it was a small newspaper, I couldn't believe how creative running a business could be. You know, how you were limited in the amount of resources you had, whether they were time or money or personnel or whatever, and you had to accomplish certain things with limited resources. And being able to do that really required some creativity, you know, a lot of creativity. And so uh, I really thought, hey, maybe this is more creative than even the news and journalism side, you know. So that's how I really got, got interested in the business side. I love that story. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mr. Walter Hussman, publisher of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette in Little Rock, Arkansas. We'll get him to tell us, which I can't wait for everybody to hear this story, about another creative strategy he has of how he saved the Democrat newspaper and led to the merger with the Arkansas Gazette newspaper into what is now known as the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and about how he successfully navigated his newspaper through the 1990s dot-com boom that threatened his newspaper industry and bankrupted many of them. And last, if we have time, we'll talk about fake news. 
You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Today's program is a replay of the original interview we did with Walter E. Hussman, Jr., the longtime publisher of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. It's fun to listen to his history, his background, and the evolution of his profession because he retired as the publisher of the Democrat Gazette on January 1st this year. His daughter Eliza took over. We'll be back to the uh, interview in just a moment. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, starting from door-to-door sales, then telemarketing, to mail order and catalog sales. And now, FlagAndBanner.com relies heavily on the internet and live chats with customers all over the world. Over this time, Carrie's business and leadership knowledge has grown. As early as 2004, she began sharing her knowledge in her weekly blog. In 2009, she founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, and in 2014, Brave Magazine, a biannual publication. Today, she has branched out into podcasts, Facebook live stream, and YouTube videos of this radio show. Each week, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting and inspiring. Stay up to date by joining FlagandBanner.com's mailing list. You'll receive our Water Cooler Weekly e-blast that notifies you of our upcoming guests, happenings at Dreamland Ballroom, sales at FlagandBanner.com, access to Brave Magazine articles, and Carrie's current blog post. All that in one weekly email. Or you may simply like FlagandBanner.com's Facebook page for timely notifications. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags. The FlagandBanner.com. Back to you, Carrie. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Walter Hussman, publisher of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette newspaper in Little Rock, Arkansas. We're fixing to get into the nuts and bolts this next segment. Before the break, you had accepted a newspaper job in Camden. You had realized that it was creative to be an entrepreneur, and then you took a job. You moved to Hot Springs. I guess you found somebody to run the Camden newspaper, and so you moved to Hot Springs were there not very long. There about a year. And during this time, I think Waco was created, maybe? Uh, yeah, that, that they about that time. used that for the name of the holding company. Yeah, about that time, they started a holding company where you could kind of the umbrella to put all of these newspapers under. Uh, and uh, you became the president of the Palmer newspaper in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, Vice President and General Manager. Vice President and General Manager. And then Palmer was your mother's maiden name. That's right. And Waco then published The Democrat in Little Rock. And you decided to move to Little Rock. Yeah, so what happened is they put the Arkansas Democrat on the market for sale. And so, uh, you know, I was interested in it uh, a lot more than my dad was. <laughs> and uh, because at that time, the Gazette was such a strong newspaper. It had really doubled the circulation on daily of the Democrat. The Democrat had been declining for a number of years. At one time, you know, after 1957, the Democrat actually had slightly more circulation than the Gazette. But but the Gazette was a morning newspaper. It was a really good newspaper. And the the Democrat was a really kind of had had watched its expenses so closely they weren't so focused on revenue, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, uh, so when we looked at the Democrat, it was clearly a turnaround situation. It had been profitable, but it lost money—not a lot of money, but it lost money the last 
four or five years before and you, we bought it. And you it. thought it was losing money because money because it was squeezing itself? Yeah. I, well, they lost so much market share to their competition. And uh, so anyway, they uh, – and being an afternoon newspaper was a problem for him too. So anyway, uh, so but it, what appealed to me was it looked like a turnaround. And I remember being in a business school thinking, you know, it'd really be fun someday to buy a business and, and turn it around. That would be a great, a lot of fun and really interesting and be quite an accomplishment if you were able to do that. So I didn't realize it'd be quite. Yeah, <laughs> you and I are grinning at each other. I remember it. It was a war. They called it the newspaper war and was probably the most aggressive newspaper war in the United States. Well, it really didn't start out that way. Really, we tried to reduce expenses a lot in the newspaper. There was, uh, I remember when we bought the paper, there was a union organizing attempt in both the Democrat and the Gazette. And so... The first thing we needed to do is try to win that election, and we won uh, 31 to 15. <laughs> Still remember all these years <laughs> later. And uh, the Gazette won their election 50 to 50. That tells you a little bit. Incident in an event of a tie, management always wins. So the interesting thing, they had 100 people that voted in their newsroom. And we had, you know, 31 to 15. So we what had, does that tell you? They had, they had a newsroom that was double our size. So obviously there was a lot more news and a lot more information in the Gazette. And so at first we just tried to be uh, more clever, you know, do more local news, maybe, you know, um, just edit the paper in a more interesting way than the Gazette. And we tried to be a compliment to the Gazette. You know, we knew the Gazette was dominant. We tried to be a compliment. We tried to be profitable. That strategy didn't work. And so after about three years, uh, my dad had said when we bought it, he said, you know, this is kind of a long shot. And so we got to have enough business discipline to realize after three years, if this doesn't work, we need to realize it and not throw any good money after bad. So you've come to your three-year mark. So we'd come to the three-year mark, and it was kind of kind of discouraging because we had made so much progress. For example, our production cost per page had gone from about $100 per page in labor to about $20 a page in labor. Is that from automation? Uh, yeah, some, some, yeah, definitely some automation and just, you know, and some of the unions had decertified, and so we had more flexible work rules. But we were still losing mo money. We were losing market share. And so at that point, we tried to throw in the towel. That's when we went to the Gazette and said, why don't we do a joint operating agreement, which was an exemption from the antitrust laws, to allow two newspapers to combine their business operations. So our proposal was, you know, we'll we'll still put out a newspaper in the afternoon. You put out one in the afternoon, but you run everything. You run all the business operations. Only one company to come to to buy newspaper advertising, and that would be the combined company. And we'd take 10% of the profits, give you 90% of the profits, et cetera. So. Were you offering uh, the paper cheap? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we weren't, you know. Why we, do you think they didn't take it? They thought we were going to go out of business. That's what I they think. They were just going to wait it out. And and I, th the, you know, I can't blame them really. Mm -hmm. I think they thought they were probably they were right. We were about to go out of business, mm -hmm. you know. And we th we thought about shutting the newspaper down. So I've read this two different ways, and I don't know which one's right. Was the Demo the Democrat the one you owned was an afternoon paper, uh, and it had half the circulation as the Gazette, which was the morning paper. But w which one was the liberal, and which one was the conservative? Well, the, the Gazette was more liberal, and Democrat, when we bought it, was not really conservative. It was just kind of it's hard. I mean, it was kind of middle of the road, I guess. And 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 because we were more conservative, 
the editorial page became more conservative. So when Hugh Patterson, the managing or the publisher of the Gazette, turned out, declined your offer, what made you decide that you were going to just go for it? And you did three things that really turned your paper around. Yeah, well, basically we said, you know, uh, at this point we're looking at shutting the paper down. We got legal opinions about what will happen. How do we do this? What, you know, what are the liabilities we'll have to pay off, et cetera? And we did owe notes on the paper, which we would have had to pay off. And so anyway. Uh, and how old are you right now when this is going uh, on? This is going on. See, I was 27 when we bought the paper, so I was like 31. He's you know? a child. So anyway, okay. so basically, you know, we sat down and figured. My dad said, you know, we've always been successful. We got, we've always been successful publishing newspapers. We got into the radio business in the 1930s. We were always successful at that. We got into the television business in the 1950s. We've been successful at that. We got into the cable television business in 1964. We've been This is, you know, in the history of our company, this is a pretty spectacular failure. And so I thought, you know what? If we're going to fail at this, let's just don't whimper out. Let's say we gave it everything we could. And let's see if there's any other strategy that would work, you know. And we said, you know, we really haven't tried to put out as good a newspaper as the Gazette. We've tried to edit it more cleverly and emphasize more local news and things like that. We are not giving people as good a product. We don't have as much news in the paper. We don't have as much advertising in the paper. Is there something that could work where we would actually try to do that? And so at that point, we went around to four or five places in the country and one in Canada where the number two newspaper had pursued a successful strategy to try to catch up with the number one newspaper. We went to uh, the D- Dallas where the afternoon paper had become a morning paper. We went to Chattanooga where the number two newspaper had become the number one newspaper, uh, mainly by putting a lot more news in their paper than the other paper. We went to Winnipeg, Canada, which had gone with free one ads for classified advertising. So there'd be more readership for the classified ads in the competition. And you took notes on all of that. So, we, yeah, we kind of uh, sort of amalgamated a, a strategy and thought, you know, why don't we try to do all of it at one time? And, you know, if this fails, we can say at least we tried everything. Be an epic failure. Yeah. Well, we, you know. So you did. You offered free one ads. First right. time I ever heard of it. You switched to a morning distribution. And you brought on new talent so you'd have better content. Right. Yeah. And you learned all three of those from your research. Right. From looking at what had worked in other markets. Wow. That's really impressive. And it only took five years, I think, for the Democrat to be noted as the fastest growing newspaper in the United States. And you were tied with the Gazette. Well, we, uh, yeah, no, we, we, we were not tied with them in circulation by night, been five years, but, but we were gaining, we were gaining on them. And, uh, I'll tell you the most amazing part of that whole story is our classified advertising revenues in 1978, before we went to free one ads, were $796,000 a year. Five years later, our classified advertising revenues were over $5 million a year. But you were giving them away for free. I know. Everybody says, how could that happen? <sighs> and so we only gave the ads away free to individuals who had Residential. For, for sale by owner. Uh, if they want to sell a pet, if they want to sell a car, if they want to sell a boat. And so all of a Garage sudden. Garage sales. Yeah. And so this is what they did in Winnipeg, Canada. And all of a sudden, we had a lot more cars for sale in our newspaper than the Gazette 
had cars for sale in their newspaper. So now the car dealers decided they wanted to start running with us. And, of course, the car dealers paid for their advertising. Was that unexpected? No, that was the whole plan. You knew it. Well, no, we, we, that's, we knew that's what it would work like if it was successful. We didn't know if it'd be successful. In fact, the paper in Colorado Springs several years later came down, and they copied everything we did. They copied our TV ads. They copied the, you know, how we manned the phones and everything, and it never worked in Colorado Springs. Why, I don't know, but, but it, it worked here in Little Rock. So you were willing to share all of this with, an, with a fellow newspaper we, we've uh, newspapers have been great all over the country because typically they don't compete with one another. They're in different markets. So newspapers are always pretty much shared anything they've done with other fellow newspaper owners. I thought there was a time and I may be completely wrong about this. I thought there was a time when there were some sort of rules in place that no one person could have a monopoly in media and that that was deregulated maybe during the Clinton years? Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm thinking? Well, the, the, yeah, well, there's the cross-ownership rules. Basically, you couldn't own a newspaper and a television station in the same market, for But example. Waco did. Uh, well, uh, cer- different markets. Certain, certain markets were grandfathered in, uh, like we owned a newspaper and a te- uh, television station in Texarkana. And actually, uh, that uh, we got grandfathered in, and then later they decided, well, we shouldn't own it, and we actually went to court. Uh, and we won that in court in the Fifth Circuit. So we were able to keep our television station. And now those rule. what did you call that rule? Cross-ownership. And now those cross-ownerships don't apply anymore, right? Well, yeah, that's that's they're actively considering allowing, you know, newspapers and TV stations to be owned by the and, same company. And the reason you couldn't have cross-ownership is because they didn't want any one that, person to have too big of a voice to, yeah, for that, propaganda? Yeah, well, that that was one of the main reasons. And also, you know, if you owned a television station and a newspaper in the same market, you'd have an inordinate amount of the advertising revenue. And control over yeah, control the media. Yeah, control cho- what you charge for advertising. Oh, well, I see. I never thought of it like that. I thought of it as more like you'd have uh, too much control over over what over what you told them. That's true. That that was that was a major reason for Pro- the rule. propaganda that you could you could sway public opinion, and you would never write about yourself if you were a crook because you owned everything. <laughs> That's what I would do. Yeah. It's like don't tell anything about the family in the newspaper. Um, so when you had this great success and you decided to turn it into the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, how did you depict that name? Arkansas Democrat Gazette. How did you oh, decide to just merge those names? Because the Gazette had been had had a great tradition in Arkansas. It had been a great newspaper. It was the oldest newspaper west of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Won Pulitzer Prizes. I just didn't feel like it was right to let the Gazette name go away. So you added the Democrat to it. Yeah. And right before um, you bought it, Waco was was big. Waco Media was a big company in Arkansas. But Gannett bought the uh, the Gazette, the Arkansas Gazette, and they are a nationwide big company. Yeah, are you shaking in your boots now? Oh yeah, they uh, when they came to town. You say we are a big company. We had about sixty million dollars a year in revenue. I think Gannett had like two billion dollars a year in revenue. Yeah, you know? that's like really <laughs> big. So, so we were not. We were pretty small compared yeah, to compared them. Compared to them. But yeah, they made it known when Al Newharth came to Little Rock. He said, "You know, we're here to use our considerable resources to prevail and 
in the newspaper market here. So, and they ended up suing you over antitrust lawsuit. No, didn't no, they? Gannett didn't. That was a suit filed by the previous owner, the uh, Patterson, Hugh Patterson. And, oh, okay. And you won that law, and you won that lawsuit. Yeah. So what happened is that uh, we were gaining market share, you know, with our new strategy, morning newspaper, free one ads, and all these things, and. I know it was for, must have been frustrating to the owners of the Gazette because at one time they could have, you know, had 90% of the whole thing to themselves. Right. And now, uh, you know, what I think frustrated them the most was in 1984, we finally gained enough market share where we had some profitable months. Okay, so that was big because we, we lost a lot of money doing the turnaround, mm-hmm. you know, in 79, 80. But every year we lost less and less and less money. And in 84, in April of 1984, we made a profit of over $14,000 mm-hmm. after depreciation, <laughs> after interest, after tax, everything. <laughs> That's not very much. And, and we print, I know it's not much, but when you've lost a lot of money, it seemed great. And we printed up these buttons that said, we're in the black. And, and I thought, what are we going to do with $14,000? That's not much compared to So we took it, and we divided it by 352 employees, and we gave everybody a check for like $40 or something and said, you know, we're going to take our first profit and give it to our employees. That's awesome. So did uh, the owner of the paper, when you began to take over market shares, did the owner of the Arkansas Gazette come to you and say, okay, remember that offer you made me a while back? No. He didn't. No, His ego no. was too big. Now, that was in, in April of 84 when we made a profit. In December of 84, they filed an antitrust suit saying we were trying to drive them out of business. And when we got, we finally got all the records through the antitrust suit, we had about 36% of the revenue, and they had about 64% of the revenue, yet we were trying to drive them out of business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it didn't make sense, and it didn't make sense to the jury either, and that's when we, we won the case in 86. So they sold to the Gannett, to Gannett, and then you still continued to grow, even though Gannett had deep, deep pockets, and they finally, how many years did they stay? A little under five years. And they just decided to give it to, give it to you? Well, I'll tell you what happened to the Gazette uh, under, 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 under the previous owners. The Gazette had been profitable every year. In fact, I remember at the trial, we introduced an exhibit, and the Gazette had never lost money in a single year, even during the Great Depression. Really? Pretty remarkable. That is remarkable. But once it was sold to Gannett, the strategy was just sort of a scorched earth all out. We're going to become the only paper in town. And we our losses went way up, too, you know, to try to match them. And uh, so with that going on, uh, the Gazette started losing money. And more importantly, we continued to gain market share, and they lost market share until about 1988, okay, a couple of years later, and they got so frustrated, they cut their subscription price from like $2 a week to $0.85 a week for every single one of their subscribers. And if we had cut our price like they had, we would have lost so much money, we would have gone out of business. So we couldn't do that. And so... In the final analysis, over the five years they had the paper, they lost more money every year than they lost the previous year, and they lost market share every year over the previous year. And so one of the things I learned from this whole experience is think about profitability. You're either making money or you're losing money, and think about market share. You're either gaining market share or you're losing market share. So there are four different scenarios you can find yourself in. You can be making money and gaining market share, 
that's the best of the four. Sure. You know, but you can be making money and you can lose market share and you're going to keep your business open because it's still profitable. I don't know how long it's going to be profitable, but it's still profitable. You Mm -hmm. know, now you could be, you could be losing, as I just mentioned, be profitable, losing market share. Uh, You can be losing money and gaining market share. In a growth mode. And and that's where the Democrat was. And it's still worth continuing to to operate because you can see if we keep gaining market share, eventually we're going to be profitable, you know, if it makes sense. The only scenario that is a lose-lose is if you're losing money and you're losing market share. And if you're in that situation, it doesn't matter whether you're a newspaper or I remember Exxon got into the office products business in the 70s. They lost money. They lost market share. It doesn't matter how big you are. If you lose money and you lose market share, you're not going to be you're not going to survive. And that's the situation Gannett found themselves in with the Gazette. I love that. That's a really well uh, thought out way to think about that. That's 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 good advice for all small business owners. When you decided in 1991 or you didn't decide when they decided to sell it to you in 1991, it was the same year that President Bill Clinton, uh, Governor Bill Clinton announced his candidacy for the presidency and. He announced he was running for president the day they sold the paper to us. What a day. Because I was sitting up in the 22nd floor of what's now the Stevens Building, waiting with the phones, you know, connected. And as soon as the wire transfer hit the bank, they would tell us, and then we're closed. And I could hear while we were waiting on the phone, you know, for an hour or something, Bill Clinton was down there at the old state house announcing he was running for president. What an exciting time. <laughs> so some critics didn't like it. Oh, no, no. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they didn't. You know, because the Gazette had been a big supporter of Bill Clinton's. And, and you know, w- we, had, we had never endorsed Clinton. And, oh, really? And it wasn't, we didn't, it wasn't anything personal. It's just Clinton was, was more liberal, you know, and, uh, and we were more conservative. It's mm-hmm. more of a political philosophy. Walter, you successfully navigated your newspaper through the 1990.com boom that threatened your newspaper industry big time and bankrupted a lot of newspapers across America. At the end of the 20th century, you led your your paper survived that huge uh, newspaper war, and now it's the beginning of the 21st century, and you've got this dot. Calm. I don't know how you don't have an ulcer. Uh, <laughs> it's like, whoo, made it through that. All right, here comes the dot-com boom. What am I going to do? So you uh, you wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal, and you said, and you titled it, How to Sink a Newspaper. And you were urging newspapers to stop providing free content online and warned that free online posting of newspapers would become a self inflicted wound and people listened so really more than the dot-com boom it was the fact that that when the internet came along uh, a lot of newspapers thought gosh this is going to be great we'll put all of our news up on our website and all these people will read it and we'll sell advertising and we won't have the cost of printing we won't have the cost of the carriers distributing the paper and gosh this is going to be an economic bonanza to us and so, actually, we did the same thing in 1999. We started putting all of our news up for free. And so, after a while, I went to our people and said, you know, we seem to be getting a lot of traffic on our website, but we don't seem to be getting much revenue. And I, they said, yeah, that's right. And I said, well, why? And they said, well, 
you know, we aren't just we got so much competition. I said, well, let's just raise our rates. You know, I mean, newspapers typically would raise their rates if they need more. I said, we tried that, but there are literally thousands of places people can go now to get information, get news, advertising, et cetera. Uh, we can't, it doesn't work to raise your rates. And so, you know, I would go to a civic club meeting or I'd go somewhere in town and I'd see somebody and they'd say, you know, I love that website of yours. I get all that news and it's free. And I used to subscribe to your newspaper and I really appreciate you doing that. And I thought, what are we doing here? I mean, we're losing these subscribers. And during the newspaper competition, we fought blood, sweat, and tears for every subscriber we could get. And now we're just encouraging them to leave the paper. And I thought, look, someday maybe this online thing will be an economic bonanza, but it's not now. So we're just going to stop giving our content away free. And we did that in 2001. And that's when people thought we were kind of crazy for doing, oh, you're just, you know, living in yesteryear, et cetera. But from 2001 to 2011, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette lost no print circulation. And, the, and during that 10 years, Atlanta, Dallas, places like that, they lost between a quarter and a third or more of their circulation, their print circulation. Why? Because why? they were giving it away free. Oh. And so that's when I was on the board of the Associated Press from 2000 to 2009. And I wrote that article in, th- in 2007 saying, you know, this is just doesn't make any economic sense to give all your news away free. And the publisher of the New York Times, even even though they're giving their news away free, he said, you know, I'm concerned we're raising a whole generation of people who don't even expect to pay anything to get news, you know. And so I think after that 2007 article, it wasn't, didn't happen right away, but over the next few years, more and more papers came to recognize that. And now most newspapers uh, do have a charge for content. A lot of them, including ours now, give you a few articles a month for free but after that you know you're asked to pay well how's you going to pay your staff well well i'll tell you what's even become more critical today because there's been a big drop in advertising in all mass media newspapers magazines radio television and Uh, i think that that's going to come back around and i'll tell you why because at arkansas flag and banner we were dot com in 1995, we got com in 1995. We 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 were part of that bell curve. We came right out of the you know out of the uh, gate, on, got to the top, got lots and lots of competition, uh, got knocked off the top, and now to stay on the top on the internet or to even get seen is so incredibly expensive. Google is making money hand over fist, and we are going back to print. Well, good. Good for you. <laughs> and you're like this. We did a survey of our customers not too long ago because I have a guy in my marketing department who kept saying, newspapers dying, newspapers dying. And I said, and he even said, and we were all arguing about print, newspaper, digital marketing. And um, so we we did a survey. He, he said, let's do a survey. And he put together a survey. And 50% of our customers read the newspaper. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, they do. So if your demographics that you sell to are 40-plus, uh, they're still reading the paper. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I never used to read the paper, but now I do. I enjoy it. I enjoy sitting down and reading the paper. Well, and, and we've, you know, we've been able to maintain the, 
generally the quality of our paper. We've had to have some reductions, but nothing like most newspapers have. And a lot of people tell me they travel around the country and they can't believe what's happened to other newspapers. The quality's gone down so dramatically. And Well, I like it that it's not so big. Your paper is small enough that it's easy. To me, it's bite-sized. You can read it, and it's. I really like the size of your paper right now. So your father. So I think for everybody out there, the cheapest form of advertising there is is print to me. <laughs> Great. I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. I know it's hard to measure because you can go right on your Google AdWords, and you can say these are how many people clicked on the word I bought, and this is the graph, and this is the statistics, and this is the data. And you can't do that with, with print. Yeah, you, that's you, right. And so I know ad agencies are kind of like, well, I can't measure it. Well, it's Google has gotten so expensive. It, they're about to price themselves out. I don't know what's going to happen with all that. Um, I love your father. I told you at the beginning of the hour, I really like your father. And you like one of your father's quotes. Uh, and you said your father's philosophy about newspaper that you still believe in, I think. And he said, a newspaper has a number of constituencies. Among those are readers, advertisers, employees, creditors, and stockholders. If a newspaper and its publisher always keep those constituencies in that order, readers first, advertisers second, employees third, creditors fourth, and shareholders last, then the newspaper will do well journalistically and financially, and the interests of all constituencies will be well served. That is flipped from the way many CEOs operate today. They put their stockholders first. That's exactly right. That was very... And that's why a lot of them are doing so poorly, you know, because that doesn't work. In most, in a lot of businesses, yeah, you know, you say... We're going to put stockholders first, and that's why we're going into business. It doesn't work in the newspaper business. I don't think it necessarily works ever. Well, you know, most good businesses put their customers first. So our customers are our readers and then our advertisers. So Starbucks puts their employees right up there. Oh, yeah. Southwest Airlines says their employees come first. So, you know, if it can work for you, fine. But this is what's worked for us. And who's the man that owns uh, Starbucks? Uh, oh, Gosh, I should have known this. But anyway, he has had his stockholders come to him over and over and over and say, you need to cut these expenses. You need to, you know, you need to, you need to change your philosophy because we've got to do, we've got to make more money for the shareholders. And he just holds his ground and will not budge on that. Well, that's good. It may stick into some core values. And everybody loves Starbucks. So acquisition seems to be the name of the game for the newspaper business. It's, used to be. Is it not anymore? <laughs> no. Well, the, the, there's probably only one company out there that's buying newspapers today, and uh, that's a company called Gatehouse. And uh, Warren Buffett was buying I was about news- to say Warren Buffett, isn't he? No, not anymore. And uh, most most people are not. Most people are selling newspapers, not buying them, because the business is, is really challenged. It's a very hard business. When I read about your family's business, uh through the three generations, I realized it's a very challenging, hard, fluid occupation. It is. And, you know, the amazing thing is we've got a fourth generation now. My son and my daughter both work at the newspaper. And oh, congratulations. I, I, and I told them, I said, you know, you got to realize this is really got, it's a lot tougher business. Uh, it's probably not tougher than when we were competing against the Gazette, but it's a lot tougher business than it used to be. And they both said, that's fine. We want to work for the family business. And, you know, everything old is new again. 
So when I told my son that you owned cable companies and newspapers, he said, that's like retro business. (laughs) (laughs) He said, no young people read the newspaper or watch TV or watch cable anymore. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, a lot of those people who watch Netflix and things, Uh they do it over high-speed Internet, which goes over our cable television. There you go. Um, Oh, look, he's writing me a note. You can say it out loud because I can't read while you write. Oh, king of the old media. That's what he called you. (laughs) We've got you a new name, Walter, king of the old media. I like it. Um, How much do you read every day? How much do I read? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I read the Democrat Gazette, read the Wall Street. Front to cover, front to back. Well, I don't read every article, you know, but I look at every headline. I read a lot of the articles, and I read the uh, look at the Wall Street Journal. You know, same way, go through the headlines, read articles. New what York do you Times. think about fake news? I think there is some uh, fake news out there. I mean, it it's you know, it's kind of like sexual harassment. What is the real definition? What's the definition? Yeah, of fake news. I mean, there's real fake news where people are intentionally fabricating things and mm-hmm. putting them out there. Hopefully. Mm-hmm gullible people will believe them you know and then there's people who just slant the news and that's being called fake news that really ought to be called distorted news instead of fake news so it uh but there is uh, the troubling thing to me is a lot of people in journalism today are, are kind of abandoning the concept of trying to be objective and impartial and that's really important for the news media to continue to be impartial and objective. Well, there's whole networks that are not impartial and objective. Well, I know. And some people say, some journalists say, well, it's impossible to be objective, so why should we try? And I said, well, tell that to your readers. You know, do they want to hear that or do they want to hear, hey, I know it's really hard to be objective, but I'm going to do as good a job as I possibly can to be objective. I, now, in defense of, the, of, the, of those reporters that said that, readers do seem to go and want to find want to read stuff that they can they identify with they don't want to read the opposite opinion of what they well i I think that's true but they'd like to read opinions that they agree with are they going to avoid opinions they disagree with i think people still want news that's objective so they can make up their own mind i do but i'm not sure the world does so anything you want to share with our listeners before we leave walter I, i just i think people need to know that Newspapers are in a really difficult position today, very challenging. You know, uh, the the digital revolution is uh, amazing because it's a lot less expensive to distribute things that are done digitally. So, But the employees are very expensive. Yeah, oh, and there's no doubt about that. To our listeners, thank you for spending time with me and Walter. If you think this program's been about you, you're right, but it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something and that it's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you'd like to hear this program again, next week, go to flagandbanner.com. Click on the tab labeled Radio Show, and there you'll find podcasts with links to resources you heard discussed on today's show. Carrie's goal, to help you live the American.